Well, welcome to Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with John Rigern. If you were to ask John how to introduce himself, he would say that he's an investor, an educator, and a realtor. Uh, he lost both of his parents uh, to cancer by age 16. And John realized then that the, the typical path to getting a job and investing in a tax deferred account uh, for retirement may not work for everyone. And I think he realized also that it wouldn't work for him. John, <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, so John, so yeah, so uh, this is uh, this is pretty brutal awakening at sixteen to figure out that uh, life is, uh, you know, you have to take control of your life and uh, you can't rely on having a job, a cushy job, and then retiring in four with your four hundred one k. So, tell tell us more about that kind of how you how your thinking changed at that point. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, again, Eric, thanks for having me on the show. And I'd be more than happy to share my story. Um, ironically, it wasn't until uh, many years later that I kind of had my awakening moment, um, even after my uh, mom passed away in 99. And, you know, finished high school, went to college, you know, got my first job, etc. Still did the whole, you know, work hard, save money, you know, max out your IRA, your 401k, etc. And it wasn't until about 15 years later that it just kind of dawned on me that I was like, well, gosh, I'm 31 years old now. If I basically doubled my whole life again, relived that entire experience, I still want to be at the arbitrary age 65 and I'd be working 40, 50, 60 hours a week during that whole time. And it was November of 2014 that I just kind of had a, you know, what if moment that I was like, well, what if I don't make it to 65? I mean, both my parents passed away in the 50s and was just thinking, well, they didn't make it till age 65. None of us are guaranteed, you know, to be here at quote unquote retirement age. So why am I designing my entire life, deferring my life um, for that matter for a date that's not, you know, set in stone? You know, why am I, you know, doing this? So then I just kind of set on a path of, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way to enjoy life now versus deferring everything to a later date. Exactly. Yeah. This, first of all, people think that it, it's not clockwork, right? So people are going to think, oh, yeah, I'm going to retire at 65 and I'm going to mm -hmm. get my 401k and then the, the, everything is going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most, only like a minority of the people, like less than 50% of the people actually retire at the age they were planning to retire. Yeah. So most people are retiring earlier. Mm -hmm. Some of them are forced to work later than they expected. Yep. But the people that have to retire earlier, you know, because you know they had like uh, they were let go of uh, of their current employment earlier than expected, and then it's harder to find another job. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's health health issues for themselves or somebody in the family member, and they have to take care of them. So there's all kinds of things that happen, and. If you're thinking that, oh, it's, everything is clockwork, I can put it on my calendar <laughs> uh, on July 1st, you know, blah, 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 20, 2030, I'm going to be retiring at age 65 and all that. It doesn't work like that. You have mm -hmm. to have some flexibility in your plan. Yeah, the last stat I think I saw was, uh, well, this is like four years ago, but I want to say that of people age 65, only about 5% were either wealthy or financially stable. I think only 1% oh, yeah. were quote unquote wealthy, but like you said, some are still working part-time, some are still dependent on social security or family. And I think it was like 30 or 40% were actually passed or dead by 65. So. Yeah, exactly. 
And uh, so you have your IR moment, and then that decide. Then you that's when you started focusing then on okay, I want a passive income, mm-hmm. and educate yourself on uh, on generating passive income. So what mm-hmm. what what got you started on the passive income? Sure. Well, uh, right away it wasn't even like a light switch. Like oh, I have to get passive income. It was more of just a you know, I don't think this traditional path is going to work for me. So, you know, I was kind of at the point of uh, unconscious uh, incompetence where I don't know what I don't know. So it was like, okay, what do I do from here? And at the time I had a a sales job where I was on the road anywhere from 100 to 200 miles a day. So learned about this great thing called podcast, just like yourself. And Mm -hmm. instead of listening to, you know, my Rammstein or Metallica for the 20, 30th, 50th time, I started downloading podcasts, uh, everything from infinite banking to real estate investing, and just kind of soaking, you know, more and more knowledge of, you know, what are some other avenues to generate uh, passive streams of income? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we're just looking at some of the, uh, I was looking at your website, uh, which is wealth and freedom nexus dot com and then you have some recommended uh, reading in there and i was just i was talking earlier about <laughs> you have this book here yep. on your website an oldie and, but goodie <laughs> <laughs> and this is what got me started into uh into really thinking about about passive income and kind of mm-hmm. like start building that and bar- building multiple paths to uh to uh, multiple types of investment that are all bringing passive income and if mm-hmm. uh, you know, so you diversify that way Right. And, uh, so I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. And of course, you have, you know, other recommendations in there that about rich dad, poor dad, you know, obviously, but <clears throat> so this is very good. And then um, so you educate yourself, but then pretty soon after. So you, you got your aha moment in 2014. Mm-hmm. But then already 2016, what happens? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So uh, as I started, you know, researching more and, uh um, interesting little tidbit on that. Uh, 2015, I kind of had another awakening moment. Uh, my day job was an employee owned company. So again, back to the traditional, you know, recommended way of life looked at it, it's like, oh, employee owned uh, stock ownership plan, I'm gonna be a millionaire by the time I retire. Uh, we got the awakening that oh, yeah, by the way, we sold the company. So we got sold out to a private equity firm. So there goes that plan down the tubes. So that really kind of steps uh, up my game of thinking, okay, I really can't depend on just a big pile of money by 65. So I had really concentrated more on real estate and I had really narrowed down my focus. I wanted a you know one to four unit property, 1% rent to value ratio uh, could be easily managed by a property manager, uh, newer construction, no deferred maintenance, et cetera. And my wife even joked that, well, you're never going to find that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I'll start with a single family home. That's what everybody does and yeah. kind of work their way up. And it was June of 2016 that a fourplex popped up on the MLS, uh, hit all my criteria, but obviously, you know, expen- expenditure wise, you know, almost $300,000, like, okay, well, where am I going to come up with the down payment for this? Hmm. And kind of back to where you said the, you know, my book recommendations, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I always remember the quote by Robert Kiyosaki. uh, Don't say I can't afford it. Ask how can you afford it? So just started thinking more. And then I learned that, you know, back to maxing out my IRAs since I was 19, 
uh, that you can take out your contributions from a Roth IRA uh, tax-free or with no penalties. So after some thinking and running the numbers, uh, decided to pull out my contributions from my Roth IRA. And that was the bulk of the down payment for our first investment property, which is a fourplex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, a lot of people start with the the single family because yeah. so, so there are more of them. You know, there's so you have more options and stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, you know, because in you know the last what last five hundred houses I bought, uh, there was uh, it was probably only a handful of uh, maybe three or four that were like fourplex, mm -hmm. more more duplex and stuff. Like fourplex were you know very rare and a few bit in between mm -hmm. and one of them was actually a triplex that we converted into a fourplex so oh, cool that doesn't count right <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so they, they're just hard and hard to find so mm -hmm. once you find them i mean typically the, the the numbers also work a little bit better right so your, your cap rate and your cash on cash return normally they work a little bit better yeah. well it's nice too i mean you have one roof versus four i mean if you have one vacancy you can still carry the you know yeah. mortgage and expenses with the other three so i mean i i see a lot of pros with uh multi-families or you know the two to four units versus a single family yeah and i think this is true too like a lot of people i mean about taking action and stuff like that i mean once you find a deal something that makes sense mm -hmm. it's really a lot of people are saying well you know they, they find all kinds of problems stuff like that instead of really focusing on uh, how how do i do it like how mm -hmm. what, what are what are my options this is something I really want, um, and and yeah, want to have in my portfolio. How do I how do I do it? How do I mm -hmm. add that to my portfolio so that it makes sense mm -hmm. uh, for me? And that kind of um, you know that kind of opened up your your mind and your your thinking to to broader to solutions to mm -hmm. know, finding a solution instead of saying oh you know this this is tough and you know this you know <laughs> thinking about all the bad scenarios right go wrong. <laughs> Now you're thinking about everything that, you know, how, how do you do that? Like what, mm -hmm. what are some of the options? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can worry, you know, till the cows come home of everything that could go wrong, but 95% yeah. of it will never come to fruition. And you just take it a day at a time. And if something comes up, you just address it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing too, about uh, employment. I want to go back to kind of your employment mm -hmm. uh, because that's kind of interesting. A lot of people <laughs> feel very safe about their employment. And then they mm -hmm. think, okay, yeah, this is, you know, I have a good job, you know, especially if you were, you were in sales before. So typically you can, you can easily find some uh, job in sales mm -hmm. uh, for all, you know, it's always a big demand for salespeople and um, you know, but you know, you're not in, you're not in control. And right. Then even when you were employee owned, you own part of the company. Yeah. <laughs> you, you still didn't have control. So exactly, this is, yeah. uh, this is crazy. Like, uh, so this is why it's important really to focus on having some level of control mm -hmm. and having building, building your passive income portfolio, your, uh, your rental pro property portfolio puts you more on the, the, the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean things can't go wrong, but at least if it goes wrong, then you have more control on how to solve the issue. And also uh, you, you only have yourself to blame in most cases. Right. <laughs> so just well, I think that. the big thing too, is it just goes back to like the book, you had multiple streams of income and yeah, I did have a great income from my sales job, but I learned, you know, that was one stream of income and in conjunction with losing the, you know, employee stock ownership plan, uh, new owners, they started, you know, changing the 
commission structure and changed, you know, a lot of the internal workings and between, you know, the bonus schedules, the commission schedules, everything, my uh, income got cut in about half from 2015 to 2016. And just like you said, it's like, well, how much control do I have and how much safety and security do I have if I just have one stream of income? And from there, I was kind of like, okay, I definitely got to start looking at a, shall we say an exit path. And this has got to be sooner than age 65. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, exactly. And just to give you an, another, uh, for people that are not convinced yet that what, <laughs> what the, that the, and your job is not as safe as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was meeting with a bunch of uh, business people and, you know, everybody was like, basically financially free, pretty wealthy. And, and then we we're all talking about our goals for, uh, for this, this year, what we're planning to do. And then people say, Oh, I want to increase my, you know, my, uh, my income by 25% this year, or I want to increase it by you know 50%. I want to do this and stuff like that. This, mm-hmm. this gives you an idea of, I mean, you don't, if you have a full-time job, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to increase my salary by, you know, 25% <laughs> right. this year. <laughs> No, you're not in control. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, all these guys were like saying, okay, no, I need to, uh, this is what I have a plan. I want to increase my, my revenue by mm-hmm. you know, 25, 50% this year. And it's like, that shows you that once you are financially free, once you have your time back, that you can really start to make these, these decisions and, uh, and think about ways to, to grow your your salary, to grow, in, increase mm-hmm. your revenue, and uh, to reach your goal. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like different, different conversation, uh, in a different mentality altogether. Right. So tell me what happens after the uh, the fourplex. So the yeah the fourplex uh, closed on that in August of 2016. Uh, didn't really have a, I don't want to say a clear path after that. It was just kind of like okay, got the first property, you know you know, keep on a lookout for the next one. Uh, the next one actually came from word of mouth, uh, ironically from our property manager. They had gotten a call from a referral on a tenant. You know, we need a background check and history. And they asked the property management company, hey, do you buy properties as well? And Scott had taken a call and he's like, well, no, but I think I know someone that might be interested. So he called me up. This was uh spring of 2018 it was a duplex that was also within their management area so same property management company Mm -hmm. uh they had a high demand for you know rentals in the area so obviously not in the market so it wasn't a you know competitive situation with you know 30 offers competing for it or anything and that duplex that we got in 2018 has actually been our cash cow we've um obviously rent out both units but we also rent out the garages for additional storage and also have coin up uh, laundry and our washer and dryer on premises too. So we actually got four income streams from one property. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's very good. And then, um, so what, what's your, so after that, any, that uh, you added more to your portfolio after that and um, how's that going? Uh, yeah. After that, um, um, decided to kind of branch out from Minnesota. I mean, I don't know, Minnesota is not exactly a California or New York, but I wouldn't say it's the most uh, landlord friendly state in the nation, so to speak. So after that, I started learning more about turnkey providers, which, you know, buy rehab and then sell the properties with the tenant to investors. Mm -hmm. So um, started researching in 2019 and uh, 
actually uh, one step back, we ended up getting a, a second home uh, vacation condo in early 2019 in Tucson, Arizona, partially because my wife has family there, but we figured, well, let's have a place to stay when we go visit and rent it out. So mm -hmm. that was our one little dip into the short-term rental space. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, we also acquired uh, two properties in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, one yeah, in Memphis. Good market. Yeah, yep. Memphis, good market. Yeah, especially the uh, Bessemer Huey town with the uh, addition of the Amazon warehouses. Uh, yeah. We've seen uh, almost a 50% appreciation in our one house there in just yeah. about three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same so. for me. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, last acquisition was a duplex, uh, again, off market in uh, Davenport, Iowa, which I kind of like the numbers and obviously uh, migration trends, people fleeing the Illinois side of the border, going to the Iowa side of the border for lower taxes and yeah, yeah. Uh, more job opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah. That's just very interesting. I mean, you know, you mentioned California and stuff like that. And I don't, I live in California. I live in LA, <laughs> but. I don't invest in California. Right, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make any sense to uh, to invest here if you're investing in uh, for passive income. Right, because um, the cash flow, you know, you could you could have it cash flow, but then you have to put so much money down that mm -hmm. you know, the returns don't make sense. Right, and um, so that's why I invest. You know, I invest in uh, landlord friendly states. So this is mm -hmm. my number one criteria, and then after that is. It's all about sustainable growth in terms of the economy and uh, the demographics to make sure mm -hmm. that we don't get into, we can find good good value and, uh, you know, there's still not low unemployment and all of that. Right. So Memphis is a good one that we invest in, Cleveland, uh, St. Louis, Detroit. Um, this year we're adding a whole bunch of other markets, but yeah, we're all, all in the Midwest. We don't invest anything on the West Coast mm -hmm. and nothing on the East Coast. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's just, uh, and now we have, we're experiencing, experiencing also a little bit of a migration out of California. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are kind of like looking outside with yeah. looking from home trend and all of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think I just read an article uh, earlier this week that uh, they were trying to do a U-Haul index for a number of U-Haul trucks mm -hmm. uh, leaving California. And there was actually a stat that they couldn't calculate it because they ran out of u-hauls at a lot oh, of really? distribution centers in california so yeah that's right so i did uh i actually wrote an article in uh, i think it was in forbes uh forbes article and it was about i was using actually u-haul data mm -hmm. basically because the rates are, are they have uh, implemented dynamic rates so if you go from here from point a to point b it's a different rate than point b to point a mm -hmm. because of yep. the demand and supply and um, yeah, so it was pretty interesting to um, to see that, and you kind of had an idea also of the uh, yeah kind of like the migration trends uh, in the United States. So right, it was, yeah. So that was very good. Um, all right, and then um, so uh, then you after that you kind of had like a change, uh, not the change, but kind of a I would say an evolution or something like that where you decide that. You know, I have some pretty good experience. I'm, I'm just putting words in your mouth here. Sure. But, uh, I guess you, you were probably thinking, well, I have a lot of experience. I want to help other people uh, kind of like know what it's like and help them, ed educate them and share my journey and all of that. And that's when I guess you created Wealth and Freedom uh, Nexus. Mm -hmm. right, so tell, tell us more about that. Sure. Yeah. So that was kind of a, shall we say, an idea I've been kicking around for. Uh, sometime when I started listening to podcasts and absorbing a lot of information. And I mean, I think, you know, 
whether it's investing or, you know, medical or whatever the case may be. I think all of us know that there is good information on the internet, but there's a lot of crappy information or maybe even outdated information on the internet. So I kind of wanted to be more of a funnel where here's all the information I've taken in over the last six years. Here's what's worked best for me and is still applicable in this day and age. And then streamline that to my website, uh, wealthandfreedomnexus.com, where, you know, obviously I shared my story of, you know, why I started investing for passive income, but then also book recommendations, podcasts, uh, you know, investment opportunities from, you know, self-directed retirement accounts to crypto and obviously turnkey providers, um, all of which that I personally had uh, dealt with or invested in, but then also were available for non-accredited investors. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people get discouraged when they want to get into investing and so many are 506C where, well, you got to be a credit investor to participate. And, you know, I'm not even a credit investor yet at this point. And I know several of my friends aren't either. So, you know, even if you're not accredited, you can still start with even just a hundred bucks or 500 bucks in a syndication and work your way up to, a, you know, large uh, passive income uh, portfolio. My, you know, kind of catchphrase I've always had is, uh, financial freedom, one bill at a time, because I think a lot of the guru, gurus, you know, say, oh, you need $5,000 a month or 10,000 or whatever the number is for a, you know, passive income goal. I just look at it, it's like, okay, look at your monthly expenditures, you know, the fixed ones that never change. I always joke of everyone seems to have a Netflix subscription. So 15, 20 bucks a month, and then just start brainstorming. Okay. What's a passive income stream you can create that pays you 15, 20 bucks a month that then pays your Netflix subscription. And mm -hmm. once you have that bill taken care of, then just move uh -huh. on to the next, you know, yeah. next bill and then just kind of keep rolling from there. Yeah. 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 If yeah so that's, that's a very good point. That's That's kind of a, it's interesting as well. Uh, for me, like I'm, I'm asking people to look at, look at your expenses. What are your mm -hmm. monthly expenses? And then from there, this, you know, kind of like make that your goal, at least mm -hmm. because you want to cover your living expenses. But that's, right. this is a very good idea too, to kind of break it down even further and take it like one bill at a time mm -hmm. and say, okay, I'm going to pay the Netflix bill. I'm going to pay this, mm -hmm. I'm going to pay that. And then eventually you get into, I'm going to pay the my healthcare bill. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and like I said, I focus more on the, uh, you know, fixed monthly bills yeah. first. And obviously you got the variables, you know, I think everyone listening to this knows that, well, if you got less money come in, coming in, you know, eat out less or go on fewer vacations. I mean, I think we all know those common sense things, but yeah. I mean, if you have a rent that's 750 a month and that's set every single month, it's not like you can go to your landlord and say, oh, well, I had a, a slow month this month. Can I only pay $500 a month for my rent yeah. this month? And then I'll pay yeah. 750 next month. No, that's pretty consistent month in and month out. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like, I, you know, yeah, a lot of people are just thinking, oh, I'm going to cut my expenses and I'm mm -hmm. going to do this and stuff like that. And to me, like, I don't want to be financially free so I can live less. You know? Right. I want to, otherwise I might as well have a job and then, <laughs> yep. just, you know, so I want people, to, I want to live my life and mm -hmm. that I want to be financially free. I want to be able to have my time back and travel more. So mm -hmm. I, I expect my travel budget to go up. 
Right. I expect me going, maybe going out for a restaurant could go maybe sideways. Uh, other things could go up and down. Sure. But yeah. So to me, that's about living. So what mm-hmm. do you need to live on to, um, you know, to, you know, so you can enjoy life, not, not right. like live a miserable life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. At least I don't have a job. Yeah. So. Well, enjoy life. And then, like you said, concentrate on, you know, raising your income where I think there's too many in the, you know, Dave Ramsey books where it's, you know, eat rice and beans and minimize your life to the bare essentials and kind of hate to say, but live a boring life. It's like, I want to live an exciting life. I want to work on concentrating, growing my income, not just cutting my expenses. Exactly. And I think this is also part of that, uh, the fire movement. I think there's kind of obviously mm-hmm. different branches, but when I was looking a lot more at that fire, uh, fire movement which is financial independence retire early kind of mm-hmm. uh, is what's the acronym stand for and it was really about that about it was for it was really focused uh, towards uh, younger people and it was mm-hmm. really about oh, cutting expenses and you know you know living with five roommates instead of uh, <laughs> right one and stuff like that i'm exaggerating of course but but um yeah so that's and to me that's not that's not the lifestyle i want obviously right and, uh, you know so yeah which i mean everyone's you know, situation is different. I mean, if you're, you know, have a 5,000 square foot home and you live alone and maybe you have too much space. Okay. Well, maybe downsizing would make sense, but yeah, I'm not one to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, move in with five roommates or live in a, you know, trailer or RV and travel the world either. So, yeah. So what's uh, you, so you've talked to a few people through your website and all of that. So what's the biggest challenge that people have when they want to get started with, uh, on the financial freedom path? Um, I think probably the biggest challenge, and I still talk with, you know, friends and family is really just kind of getting, getting started really. And it's just, you know, they read the books, they listen to the podcasts, um, they absorb the information and, you know, sign up for the newsletters, but they just never take action. And I think one part of it's just kind of complacency where, you know, well, everything's fine. My job is quote safe. I'm, you know, my life is hunky dory right now. I don't need to worry about this. And I think too, is even if they look at, you know, the properties, I mean, I still have several people say, well, I don't want to be a landlord. I don't want to deal with tenants and termites and toilets and trash. And I always respond. It's like, well, I don't either. That's why I hire property management companies. That's why I invest in, you know, landlord friendly markets. And I, other than maybe a monthly call, I'm pretty much hands off. And I think just those two things are the really big sticking points for people. And I kind of, you know, tell a lot of people as much as it angered me in 2015 that our company sold off, we were no longer an employee-owned company. On the flip side, ironically, it was one of the best things that happened to me because then that really drove me to, okay, I have to make changes. It wasn't just a, oh, I have this huge retirement plan. Life is great. I, you know, will have this huge bucket of money when I retire. I mean, it really did light a fire under me where, okay, I definitely have to change my life. I have to do a 180. So, I mean, sometimes for people that are maybe complacent with their lives and their jobs, you know, sometimes they need that rude awakening to really get them moving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit addictive, especially, I think, especially the more money you make, I think the more addictive it is. Yeah. <laughs> because then it's just like, wow, I have like all this money and I'm feeling good and all of that. And it's kind of hard to kick the habit. Really, yep. say, okay, well, if things go wrong, then I'm also, <laughs> I also fall from, uh, 
from a high altitude so right uh, <laughs> you know, so it's not going to be do you think it um it's harder or easier to convince friends and family than uh, other people that barely know you uh boy that's a tough one uh i would say it's maybe a little bit easier helping friends and i want to say total strangers just because you know, there's kind of a distance there already where they're just kind of going there for education, you know, yeah. where for family, sometimes it's, you know, not to cause like internal strife, but sometimes, you know, various family members just kind of have their heels dug in of this is what I've always done. This is what I always will do. And yeah. versus, you know, someone that you just met off the internet or through a podcast where, you know, I don't want to say that they don't, see you as, as having an agenda, but they just kind of look at you as a neutral person where, Hey, I have no affiliations with this person. This is what they're trying to do to educate me. I think I will, you know, yeah. follow in their footsteps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I have the problem with my, my sister, I'm trying to <laughs> uh, convince her and she's very much into, you know, the, you know, the 401k, the retirement plan and all yeah. of that. Like, she's just like, oh my God. And she works, but mind you, she works for the government. So uh, she's probably a little bit safer than. Other yeah. People. If there's, I don't know if there's government or uh, job security, I think, you know, government's definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. That's for sure. So, so the other thing is about taking action and it's, I, I've seen that quite a bit, people not taking action. And, um, and I, and I know sometimes some of these things, some of these investments feel like they're risky, mm -hmm. um, but how do you convince people to, and not maybe convince is not the right word, but how do you encourage people to, uh, to take action? Sure. Um, I think for encouragement, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, obviously you can do a Google search and then find every horror story from a, you know, Bernie Madoff fund to a, you know, landlord horror story. But on the flip side, I think you can kind of turn that, you know, away and say, well, do you think your 401k is safe and secure? And, you know, we're coming up on year 14 since the Great Recession. But I know of a lot of people, my aunt included, that was looking forward to retirement and almost mm -hmm. overnight the 30 to 40 percent of their life savings was wiped out yeah. and you know how safe and secure is that you know what are the risks there yeah. and i think just kind of opening up you know of reframing that of do you think it's risky to expand out have multiple streams of income that are passive or do you think it's more risky to have one stream of income that is active that can be changed on a dime, whether it's a COVID lockdown or a, you know, company going, you know, for bankruptcy, or if your entire nest egg is in your 401k and it loses 40% overnight, you know, how risky is that? And I think just opening people up to their, you know, opening up their minds to see that their path might not be as safe and secure as they thought it was, then it kind of opens up their mind of, okay, well, I thought investing in real estate, stocks, crypto, et cetera, was risky. But if I educate myself more on it, maybe it won't be as risky. I mean, if people think are investing in the stock market is risky, talk to Warren Buffett. He's one of the most, you know, experienced investors out there. And, you know, he's become a billionaire in the stock market. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I think people need to realize like where, where the risk actually lies. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, if we have most people's 401k is in, is, is stored in, or say uh, invested in mutual funds or mm -hmm. some kind of fund. And if the stock market goes down, uh, yeah, your nest egg also goes down with it. Yeah. Um, typically if you invest in, um, in some kind of, um, rental property or real estate or mm -hmm. something like that there's going to be some value left over if you think long term as well like you know the value of the house is going to is going to recover it's going to be there mm -hmm. um, because people always want to need a place to live or a place to rent and stuff like that so for all these reasons there's some kind of like bottom to where where the real estate can can go and mm -hmm. um and sometimes the stock market is not it's not really connected with, with reality. <laughs> right. You know, so there's some, uh, some numbers there. I mean, you just look at the dot-com crash uh, in 2000. I mean, you know, like for over a few uh, weeks and the market kept going down and down and down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was significant. I had a lot of money on that thing. Yep. <laughs> lost millions of dollars in stock exactly. options and stuff like that. And again, that, that kind of goes back to me to, to, um, to control, you know, mm -hmm. understanding that uh, that money that it's good to have the money there. That's I'm I'm it's good to diversify and have other people and invest in other other asset class and all of that. But you have to realize that that asset class is is a, is a different animal. You're not in control of the company. You're not in control mm -hmm. of the news, and you're not really sure what's going to happen in the stock market with the economy and all of that. Mm -hmm. So anybody that tells you otherwise, you know. Yep. Well, well I mean, <laughs> even just, yeah, just in my short life, you know, span, I've seen, you know, someone sends out a tweet, uh, not naming names, but their stock then dive bombs 25%, you know, within an hour, uh, you know, flash crashes, you know, just bottom out with all the algorithms and, you know, computerized trading nowadays. And yeah. then you got the whole government in the mix. I mean, you know, if the Fed decides, yeah, the inflation is an issue, we need a you know, hike up rates or stop with quantitative easing or whatnot, you know, what you saw gain for an entire year in your uh, stock market portfolio might be gone within just a matter of weeks or days. So yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So again, you know, not yeah, I didn't even mention the government, you're right, as well, like the government or the Fed making any kind mm -hmm. of big move on the stock market, or the inflation goes through the roof. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden they have to increase the interest rate. So yep. that's going to have an impact, you know, mm -hmm. all that. It might have an impact also on the real estate side of it. Let's be, uh, let's be fair as well. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, uh, yeah, it can obviously impact everything from, you know, our consumer goods to real estate. Yeah. And I mean, obviously if mortgage rates go high, you know, that tends to kind of put a little bit downward pressure on real estate. So yeah. again, if you're investing for cash flow, it's not a big a deal. Exactly. If you're banking on appreciation and was hoping to flip that property for 50 grand more, then you might have an issue. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, so that's why I'm, I keep telling people, I said, you know, now is the time to invest in real estate because mm -hmm. interest rates are pretty low. Yeah, uh, they're not as low as they were a couple of years ago, but they're still very, very low. And if we go into inflation, then the rates are going to go up. I mm -hmm. think uh, Jerome Powell or the Fed was saying that they, uh, they they might have to increase the interest rate by like four um, percent. Yeah, this year. Um, so 
you know, if anything goes up by 4%, it's going to more than double the interest rate. Right. <laughs> and uh, people think it's going to be gradual. And it's yeah. not always gradual. I mean, if you look at the 80s and stuff like that, they jacked up the rate very, very quickly because of the hyperinflation and some right. they were seeing. So it's not, it's not always smooth. It's not, oh, yeah, gradual, yeah. <laughs> it's going to go up. I'll, I'll know when this happens. It's, nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, with inflation, you know, and impacting rates, the nice thing about real estate is you can lock it with 30 year fixed yeah. uh, mortgages. I mean, right now our vacation condo, we refinanced to a 30 year uh, about 15 months ago, uh, got in at uh, 2.875, which, yeah. you know, by my math, that's less than half the rate of the official inflation. Yeah. And that's locked in for the next 30 years, regardless mm -hmm. of what the Fed does. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, yeah. So this is definitely the, well, in my opinion, is definitely the time to invest in, mm -hmm. in real estate. It's one of the few investments where you have, you can leverage so much for, uh, you know, a long period of time mm -hmm. and at a very low rate. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I don't want to say it, but it's a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like put necessarily put everything in it, but uh, definitely if you're, if you are, in just in the stock market or something like that, you know, that thinking about a little bit of diversification would be, a, mm -hmm. would be a good idea at this point. So, right. Exactly. All right. So uh, tell me a little bit more about kind of like what, because uh, some people think about what is, what is like a financial freedom. So now you, you, you're working for yourself, you know, mm -hmm. full time, you quit that sales job a uh, long time ago. And, um, and now, so what, what's, what are you doing during the day? Um, and, you know, and kind of tell, tell people what, what's the lifestyle of being financially free. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I would, I would just say kind of the lifestyle is more, uh, and I would just even say as kind of a, like an entrepreneur, um, I have various uh, side hustles. Um, obviously I'm a realtor, so I help, you know, first time home buyers, but then also I'm a uh, an investor-friendly uh, agent, which there seem to be few and far of those out there nowadays. And obviously my, you know, I consider it my job to educate people and understand the leverages and advantages of real estate and passive investing. But then, you know, like I said, I can decide, you know, next week, yeah, I'm going to take the week off. I don't need to ask my boss for time off, or I don't need a you know, make sure my coworker keeps on top of all my projects. I can kind of work as little or as much as I want. Obviously, I still have streams of active income, but I look at that as more of complementing my passive income streams. And I constantly reevaluate those as well and look of how can I reposition this to uh, benefit me. Um, you had just mentioned too, obviously, with real estate prices going up, uh, right now we're sitting on a fair amount of equity in our property. So I'm starting to crunch the numbers of would it make sense to do a cash out refi, pull some cash out, there's a down payment for another property. Of course, obviously, there's a bit of a housing shortage. So I obviously want to make sure that the numbers make sense. But looking over the next 24 months, um, on the conservative side, I'm thinking we can probably pull out between, I'd say 75 and $150,000 of equity for down payments on other properties. Yeah, our mortgage payments are obviously going to go up, but then our passive income is going to go up as well, too. And right, yeah. yeah, I might pay maybe a percent more than some of the 
fixed income interest rates that I have now. But I mean, I think anytime you can get under 7%, you know, for a 30 year fixed, you're pretty much bound to win under, under those scenarios. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, I think, yeah, people are, uh, yeah, you have to look at your, re your return on equity as well mm -hmm. as your equity builds up. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that, yeah, you, you use refinancing tools and then kind of like buy additional properties. Yeah. People keep thinking that, oh, yeah, but I have, have more loans, more mortgage and stuff like that. Yeah, it's okay. Focus on the cash flow. Don't right. focus. I mean, you, ha you have to have the right balance on your, you know, your liability and equity. Mm -hmm. But focus on the on the cash flow and uh and, and that makes sense because right with that with that money if you use maximum leverage you can buy like two or three properties mm -hmm. by, just by putting your down payment now you have three properties appreciating at right you know nine percent and this is where the money is like when you're mm -hmm. going to look at it 20 years down the road this yeah is where and then you get the tax benefits and depreciation and the benefits. on the additional properties as well so exactly Exactly. Tons of advantages, that's for sure. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So, uh, so John, you also have a, a podcast. Yep. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, obviously the, uh, say the job or life of an entrepreneur, you're never bored and always thinking of what else can I do? And I just kind of looked at it as more of a, shall we say, kind of giving back of, you know, podcast really helped me during my journey. So I want to launch a podcast of my own. And again, kind of streamline all the information I took in over seven years to kind of get more to direct and to the point. And, you know, I try to keep the episodes between 30 and 40 minutes and discussions on, you know, whole life insurance and infinite banking. This is how it's worked for me. Hey, here's an interview with my uh, mentor and friend that, I got my first policy five years ago and how that's worked for me. Or here's an interview with a turnkey provider that I've used, or here's an interview and discussion on uh, precious metals or cryptocurrency. So my podcast isn't centered just on, you know, real estate or investments. It's kind of more of a whole, say a holistic approach of finding the synergy between having wealth passive income and then having that buy your freedom and your time because kind of going back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast my parents passed away in their 50s when I was 16 and none of us know how much time we have left so why not set up streams of income now to basically buy your time back and have that freedom and yeah hopefully I live to you know old and gray and 95 years old but i mean if i don't then yeah. at least i'm living my life now versus deferring it yeah yeah excellent what's the name of uh, of your podcast uh same name wealth and freedom okay. nexus podcast right. just kind of kept it the same <laughs> yeah makes well it makes it uh, simple that way all everything is connected exactly yep <laughs> well very good uh any uh so i know you have a lot of books uh on uh that you recommend on uh, on your website but what is your kind of like your number one book that uh people are not talking enough about uh not talking enough i would probably highlight uh power of zero by david mcknight and this kind of goes back to the retirement accounts I think a lot of people get excited of, oh, I have this tax deferred account. And I don't think they realize you're basically just kicking the tax bill down the road. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an economist, but I think it's just a given that tax rates are going to be higher in the future based on history. So I look at as, okay, do I want to have that in a tax deferred bucket or do I want to spread that out to tax free buckets? And I think David McKnight does a phenomenal job of showcasing how to utilize Roth IRAs, you know, standard deductions, annuities, whole life insurance to really get to what he calls the 0% tax bracket. So if you're paying $0 in taxes and tax rates double in the future, well, two times zero still is zero. And I don't think there's enough uh, education around that. I think people just think, oh, my tax rate is whatever, 24% today. It's bound to be 24% when I retire. Well, Mm -hmm. historically and statistically speaking, probably not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, you're looking at inflation yeah that dollar that you're putting in today is going to be you know yes it's going to increase in value with the returns on that you take away your uh your uh uh, your your fees uh, for for managing the account then you're cutting your return over time in half (laughs) then by that time you get there it's going to be that the purchasing power of that dollar is going to be you uh, hopefully you made a little bit of money but it's not going to be what you think it is yeah then then you have the fees to get get that out and the taxes you're going to pay more taxes later right well and i just always tell people from the deferred side you know oh i put in ten thousand dollars today i'm gonna quote save twenty five hundred dollars in taxes today well okay but you're deferring that and say everything goes well and that ten thousand dollars grows to a hundred thousand dollars when you retire yeah. and maybe you are in a lower tax bracket maybe it's twenty percent mm-hmm. well twenty percent of a hundred thousand dollars now you're paying twenty thousand in taxes so yeah. you're paying ten times more in taxes even yeah. though your financial advisor cpa told you you were gonna save taxes by putting money in a retirement account yeah yeah and the other two is the other thing too is that let's say you put your money in the 401k mm-hmm. but you if you try to take the money before 59 and a half then you have massive (laughs) penalties on top of the taxes that you pay to get it out you have penalties for dick so if you want to retire early yeah that's not going to happen you're just automatically saying well i I can't retire before 59 and a half right you know yeah i mean grand there's a few loopholes i mean i like roth's the best you can always take oh yeah yeah. Yeah. uh you can always do a 72t so you might have to pay the taxes, but you don't have to pay the penalties. So, I mean, there's a few workarounds. And some of these so loopholes there. Yeah, the Roth, Roth is a little bit different because you put, you're putting your contribution after right. tax. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit, but it grows uh, tax-free. And right. And you can take them out. Yeah, so that- And then regardless like of that. what the tax rates are in the future, you've already paid the tax and you're done exactly. with it. So Exactly. But the 401k is a little bit like the regular 401k, not the Roth one. But the- uh, yeah, that as if you want to take the money before 59 yep. and a half, then you get penalized, you get the taxes, you get so like Yeah. It, Unless it, you have a hardship or life event or yeah. first time home buyer. I mean, you got a few exceptions there. <laughs> a few exceptions, yeah, but still. Exactly. It's why pretty much locked it? in why jail. Have it in, yeah, why have it in there in the first place? I can do that some yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Well, John, it was a pleasure uh, speaking with you. And uh, so if uh, if people want to uh, to reach out to you, what's the best uh, the best place on Instagram or uh, Facebook? Uh, yeah, so uh, I always joke around. I'm not too hard to find. I'm the only John Rickgarn in the world. So if you yeah. 
Google me or look on LinkedIn, you're bound to find me. Uh, LinkedIn, I probably network with most of the investors, but I also have a pretty large Instagram following, uh, W Freedom Nexus, okay. and all, all my social media tags you can find on my website as well. And if you're also, you know, driving it or driving while listening to this, uh, you can just type in rickgarn.com and that'll redirect you to my website as well and all my contact info. Nice, nice. Well, John, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Eric. It's been great to be on. Yep, take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.